and I want to welcome you at this time to another exciting broadcast of Sunshine USA. I'm Warren Landis, your host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA, and I want to say hello to our listeners on Spotify, Anchor FM, as well as some of the other platforms that we broadcast on here at Sunshine USA. Once again, it's so great to have you tuned in. Well, on the program today, we get the opportunity to begin a new study, and that is a study of the book of Amos, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But I want to reiterate an announcement I made yesterday, and that is I'm currently working on a website for Sunshine USA. Now, this particular website will be very helpful in terms of making it easier for you to communicate with me. And um, I would love to hear from you more often. (laughs) And I think this website will allow us to do it. Um, Here you can actually make comments on each broadcast. And um, you can also uh, let me know something about yourself. And I would especially love to hear uh, if you have been saved as a result of this ministry or if you have grown in your knowledge of the Word of God with the help of this ministry. So I would love to hear from you. And, by the way, if you have any complaints or any criticism, I'd love to have that as well. You know, that's how a ministry grows. You know, we listen to criticism, and sometimes, you know, I hear criticism, and I have to say, you know, that's a pretty good point. I I think we'll work on that. So uh, don't feel like, uh, you know, I'm going to put you on some kind of blacklist if you have criticism because, you know, like I say, that's the way we grow. We listen to criticism and try to build on that. Well, anyway, um, like I say, we are beginning a new Bible study series today. It's a Bible study series on the book of Amos. Um And uh, Amos is a very interesting character. Uh, He serves as a prophet during a time of prosperity in Israel, but it's also a time of great, severe adultery. I mean, idolatry. Well, probably adultery, too. It was a very sinful nation. And, and, you know, it's kind of sad when you consider all that God has, has done for Israel and had done for Israel up to that point. You know, after all, he delivered them from slavery and bondage in the land of Egypt, and many times he had forgiven them of their past sins, only to have them turn their back on him again. And uh, as we saw in the book of Hosea, for example, we saw a situation where... um, Israel was presented as an unfaithful bride, an unfaithful spouse. And, of course, Hosea had a, a, um, a, um, um, a wife, Gomer, who was unfaithful. Uh, and that helped Hosea to see what was happening in the eyes of God. Hosea could see for himself what it was like to have someone that he loved very much be unfaithful to him. And then we have the book of Amos, uh, or pardon me, Joel. Now, Joel is the book we just finished. Now, Joel was a pretty short book, actually. 
consisting of only, um, I think, three chapters. And yet, there's very important stuff in there. Now, like I said, uh, Joel and even uh, uh, Amos, the one we're studying now, uh, these men were minor prophets. Uh, that is to say, they didn't have a lot to say, but what they did say was important. And in fact, what they did say was just as important as anything said by a major prophet. They just didn't have as much to say. Um, but Amos, like I say, prophesied during a time of great prosperity. Now, sometimes when people are prosperous, when they're well-off financially, they have a natural tendency not to see their need for God because they tend to see themselves as accomplishing great things on their own. Now, of course, they don't realize that the great things they've accomplished would not be possible in the event that God had not made it possible. But nonetheless, when someone prospers, when someone is in a time of prosperity, they can be very hard, difficult people to reach. Some people have said that the richest people are also the most difficult people uh, for any church to try to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Interestingly enough, the poor people don't have a lot of money to give the church, but usually unsaved poor people are much easier to reach for the Lord. You know why? Because of the fact that they can readily see that they need someone. <laughs> And, of course, that someone ultimately is God. And so a lot of times poor people can be so much easier to reach. I tell you, from a pastoral perspective, I would rather have a church full of poor people in one sense of the word than a church full of rich people. Because if a church is full of rich people, that church is going to be hard to deal with. Because, like I say, the people are not going to readily see their need for God. What they're going to see is that they're pretty good, pretty good themselves. They've accomplished a lot for themselves, or so they think. And they can be very hard to deal with. And because they give a lot of money to the church, they in turn want to exert a lot of control over the church. And so it could be a very difficult people to pastor. That's why I say if, if I have a choice, I would probably rather pastor a church full of poor people than a church full of rich people. Now, that doesn't mean that all rich people are automatically <laughs> part of the devil's crowd. Far from it. I know many people who are very wealthy, and in spite of incredible wealth, they are also people who love the Lord, who are very dedicated Christians, who are members of a local church, and they are willing to serve the needs of that local church. And they can be very helpful to the ministry. And the fact that they have money is not bad. We all know that it takes money to run a church. You know, you've got a power bill to pay, you've got a water bill to pay, maybe a gas bill. Uh, sometimes fuel oil. Uh, there's all kinds of bills that a typical church faces, and, and not the least of which is paying the preacher <laughs> and other staff members 
So uh, it doesn't hurt to have church members with some degree of financial success. But I still say, given my choice, I would rather have a church full of poor people than a church full of rich people. Okay, now, um, Amos, by trade, was a shepherd. <laughs> and he was also a fig tree farmer. So, in terms of career, in terms of vocation, he was not, per se, a minister. <laughs> uh, he probably worked, in fact, most of his life, like I say, as a shepherd and as a fig tree farmer. And that meant he was numbered himself among the people that were probably fairly poor. He did not make a great living. Now, he made an adequate living, probably. Um, I'm sure that he was self-supporting as a farmer. It's just that he wasn't necessarily rich. And one of the interesting things about uh, Amos is that he probably did not go to any formal theological school. In other words, we would say today he was not theologically trained. Now, I know some preachers today that are in the same category. They're not theologically trained. They didn't have the opportunity to go to Bible college or seminary. But they are serving the Lord the best they can on their own. And they're doing a very good job of it, frankly, in many cases. Now, of course, there's other cases where sometimes a minister is doing an okay job, but they could have done a much better job had they had the opportunity to go to Bible college or to seminary. But nonetheless, Amos was willing to serve where he had opportunity. And there came a time where God decided, I need you to prophesy to the nation of Israel. That is going to be your primary target, even though there is a sense in which your ministry, Amos, will cover both Israel and Judea as well. And we find that Amos started his ministry as a preaching ministry. He did a lot of preaching in the land, maybe more so than Joel, the last prophet we studied, and maybe more than Hosea as well. And so at the end of his preaching ministry, it seems that Amos returned to Tekoa, his hometown. Now, this is not Tekoa, Georgia, folks. If, if you think this is Tekoa, Georgia, then you probably don't know as much about the Bible as you thought. This is Tekoa over in the Holy Land. And so he returns to Tekoa so that he can begin his writing ministry. In other words, he takes much of what he said in his preaching ministry and he reduces it to writing. I think somehow he knew that God was going to preserve what he wrote for future generations like ours to read. Now, since Amos was someone that we might refer to as bivocational, uh, I want to use this opportunity, too, to talk a little bit about the importance of bivocational ministry, especially the important role that bivocational ministry has today. 
Uh, I am, for example, a Southern Baptist. I, I tell people all the time I'm Southern Baptist, and I'm proud of it. I was ordained as a Southern Baptist ministry back in 1979. I was licensed to preach the same year, the same month I graduated from high school back in May of 1974. I've always been a Southern Baptist. I'm proud of it, and I will always be a Southern Baptist. Amen. Now, <laughs> it's not that I believe Southern Baptists are the only ones going to heaven, because that would simply not be true. I believe that Southern Baptists, for the most part, have a desire to correctly interpret the Word of God. And I think that basically, Southern Baptists take the Bible literally, except those areas where we are told it is symbolic. And we as Southern Baptists believe very much in the importance and the autonomy of the local church. One of the things I like about being a Southern Baptist is that the Southern Baptist Convention cannot dictate to any Southern Baptist church what they can and cannot do. And the denomination does not own the church property. Now, in many denominations, you have a local congregation that does not actually own the land or the building where the church is located. That is owned by a denomination. But that is not the way Southern Baptists are set up. Southern Baptists are set up so that every congregation is autonomous. They are free to select their own pastor and other leaders of the church. And so those are among the reasons that I pride myself on being a Southern Baptist. Now, if you're not a Southern Baptist, let's say you're Methodist or Presbyterian, um, maybe you're Church of God, Church of Christ, that doesn't mean <laughs> that I don't like you. I, I feel that God has good people in all denominations. But I do feel that we Southern Baptists tend to follow the Bible a little bit more closely than do other denominations. But I think other denominations are doing good things also. And I don't think by any means that Southern Baptists are the only ones going to heaven. Heaven would not be such an exciting place if it consisted only of Southern Baptists. Because we would have heaven divided up into a whole bunch of committees, amen? And then nothing would get done. <laughs> amen. Well, anyway, in the book of Amos, we find that Amos focuses on not just the fact that judgment is coming, but severe judgment is coming. And we find that because Israel and Judah combined have been so blessed of the Lord and so richly dealt with by the Lord, he is therefore going to be especially hard on the punishment that he hands down to them. So we find that Amos has a message that is not popular. In fact, we read about at least one priest who will take opposition to what Hosea has to say. Now, that's an important point, too. And the important point there 
is that when you and I do the work that God has called us to do, uh, there will inevitably be opposition. There will always be opposition when you and I do the work that God has called us to do. It was true for Jesus, it was true for Amos, and it's true to us today. Now, when we get back to the subject of bivocational ministry, I want you to notice that bivocational ministry has an important role today. For example, the Southern Baptist Convention, of which I'm part and proud of, we find that nearly half of Southern Baptist pastors are, in fact, bivocational. That means that for them, the income they have as a pastor is not their only income. Now, let's take a look for a few moments at the definition of a bivocational minister. Uh, a bivocational minister is one who has an income, more specifically a pastor, who has an income in addition to his local congregation, or he has an income from outside the church that he pastors. Now, by the way, this second job, or whatever you want to call it, it's not always a religious job. You might have, for example, a pastor who drives a taxi cab or Uber nowadays, maybe Lyft. Uh, a pastor might teach in the public school system. A pastor might work in a retail store, maybe a restaurant, as a second income. Now, pastors can also have a second income that is also religious in nature. For example, a pastor might also serve as professor at a Christian college or university. The pastor might serve as professor at a seminary or Bible institute. The pastor might work in Christian radio or television or some other form of Christian media. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a secular job, just that the pastor has two sources of income. One would be the church and one would be a job outside of the church. I've even known at least one situation where a pastor served without salary at the church where he served as pastor. His income came from outside the church. For example, his wife worked at a bank and he did odd temporary jobs on the side, but none of his income actually came from the church where he pastored. Now, by the way, that was not a bad situation for the church because it allowed a church that probably couldn't afford a pastor to have a pastor. And it put the pastor in an interesting situation because he wasn't financially dependent on the church. In one sense of the word, it actually made the pastor freer to preach because even if the church fired him, they couldn't take away his income because they didn't give him an income. <laughs> So bivocational ministers are still needed today and are still found today all throughout America. Not just Southern Baptist either. Other denominations have uh, bivocational ministers as well. 
And in many cases, we would have a lot of churches in America without a pastor. If it weren't for the fact that some men have this unique call to be bivocational. And that can be a really great thing. Um, so we find that some pastors are bivocational. Now, some pastors are bivocational by necessity. They serve in a church that can't pay them at all, or they serve in a church that can't pay them enough to support them and their families, and so they have to work outside the church in order to make ends meet. Other pastors, interestingly enough, are bivocational by choice. Now, these bivocational pastors feel a unique calling to be bivocational. I heard about this one pastor, for example. He had an opportunity to become a full-time pastor with a full-time salary, but he chose not to do it. In fact, he resigned that church when they got big enough to pay him a salary, and he decided to be used of the Lord to plant another church, once again, without a salary. But he saw bivocational ministry as a unique calling of God. Now, another advantage that the bivocational pastor has is the fact that because he works with common everyday people, many of whom don't go to church at all, it puts the pastor, number one, in a position where he comes in regular contact with unsaved people and he can witness to them and invite them to church. And number two, he becomes keenly aware of the problems and heartaches and strains that everyday working people face, and it allows him to come up with messages under God's Holy Spirit's guidance. The Holy Spirit can guide him to messages which can specifically address issues that are being faced by the congregation. So there's many exciting benefits, both for the church and for the pastor when it comes to bivocational ministry. And if Amos were in the ministry today here in the United States, I am sure that he would be numbered among the bivocational ministers. And so here I've given you a little bit of the background that we find for the book of Amos. Now, let me also tell you that Amos, being a shepherd, he came from an occupation that was not especially popular. Back in those days, if you had a son who indicated to you they wanted to be a shepherd, you would probably be not very happy. Shepherds were not popular. They were considered the lower end of society. Some people even looked at shepherds as the scum of the earth. But yet, it's interesting that God doesn't always go to the elite to find his servants. Sometimes he finds his servants among the common everyday people. And that's exactly the kind of person Amos was. But unlike the people he was preaching to, Amos was a godly man. He loved the Lord and he served the Lord. This was not true for Israel as a whole. 
But in spite of living in a country that was engaged in such sinful activity and wickedness, Amos himself turns out to be a good man. And that was good. And then we find that Amos was willing to be obedient to the Lord. He not only preached to the people God gave him to preach to, but he brought the message that God wanted him to preach. You see, uh, preachers, if they're the kind of preacher they are supposed to be, they don't get up on Sunday morning and take about an hour to decide what they're going to preach on. No. They spend many hours in prayerful preparation for that message all throughout the week. Looking to the Lord and saying, Lord, what would you have me to say this Sunday? And then you're willing to say anything the Lord has for you to say. And a preacher knows that he has to say what the Word of God says, even if it might be hard for some of his church members to hear. But nonetheless, a preacher, if they're doing the work that God has called them to do, they find joy in that work, and they're willing to serve the Lord till the day they die. Now, of course, as preachers grow older, <laughs> and I put myself in that category, we get to the point where we can't do what we once could. I, I, I can remember in my younger days, I could walk in neighborhood after neighborhood, knock on doors and tell people to, about Jesus. Physically, I would have a hard time doing that today. I walk around with the assistance of a walker, and I can only walk a short distance before I have to sit down. Uh, for example, when I'm standing up, I find it a lot harder to breathe than when I'm sitting down, which is why I'm sitting down more of the day than I am standing up. I just don't have as good a body now as I did when I was younger. But even so, even now, I am willing to do whatever it is God has called me to do. And I especially enjoy the early morning hours when I look out the window and I see the beautiful sunrise. Now, many of you know that I have recently moved into a new apartment, and I love this new apartment very much. It is so beautiful. It is literally the nicest apartment that I have ever had, and yet, at the same time, it is the cheapest. It's a beautiful apartment. I know friends of mine who have an apartment that's not nearly as nice, and they pay a lot more for their apartment than I do mine. And my rent includes all the utilities, so I'm grateful for that. And yet I know that one of these days I'll have a home far greater than this apartment. I have a home in heaven. The Bible says I have a heavenly mansion. And I can hardly wait until that grand and glorious day when I move into my heavenly mansion. Amen? Amen.
But when I look out my window in the morning and I see the beautiful sunrise and you see my apartment windows face to east. So I see the sunrise every morning. And I have seen some of the most beautiful sunrises I've ever seen in my life. And it reminds me each day to say, Lord, okay, this is a new day, a new day that you have allowed me to live. And God, I am willing to live this day for you. Amen. Amen. And then as we take a look at the book of Isaiah itself, now we probably won't get into Amos the first chapter until next broadcast. But as you look, when you look at the book as a whole, the book of Amos as a whole, you'll find that Amos consists of nine chapters. That makes this book three times as long as Joel, the book we just came from, and it had only three chapters. But compared to the major prophets, it's still a relatively short book. Like I say, the minor prophets of which um, Amos was one. They didn't have as much to say as the major prophets, but everything they said was just as important as anything said by a major prophet. And we find that even today, if you're a bivocational minister, for example, you are no less a minister than one who is a full-time career minister who does nothing but pastoral ministry. You might be a pastor and maybe you drive a cab on the side, but that doesn't make you any less a man of God than if you were full-time. And by the way, there's no such thing as a part-time minister. All ministers, full and part-time, are full-time. You know that for yourself if you're currently serving as a pastor. So take that into consideration. So for next time, go ahead and read at least the first two chapters of Amos. And we'll begin commentary on Amos chapter 1 in the next broadcast. Now in the meantime, if you have a Bible study question or if you have a prayer request, I would love to hear from you. And the best way to do that is for you to shoot me an email, warrenlandis at yahoo.com or warrenlandis at gmail.com. Now, if you prefer, you can write to me at my uh, snail mail address. That is, you want to write me an old-fashioned letter with the stamp on it and everything. Well, my snail mail address is warrenlandis, 80 Thruston Street. That's T-H-R-U-S-T-O-N. 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. That's Warren Landis, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, and that zip code is 29605. I'd love to hear from you, especially if you uh, can tell me uh, what this broadcast means to you. Maybe... Uh, you got saved listening to one of these broadcasts. Maybe uh, you've been listening to this ministry for a while and your knowledge of the Word of God has grown. Well, I'd love to hear that. 
Maybe you can tell me about whether you listen to this broadcast all by yourself, or maybe you invite the whole neighborhood over to your house so they can listen. That would be a great idea, by the way. But anyway, I would love to hear from you. And like I say, even if you have a criticism, I'd love to hear from you as well. It might be maybe I'm doing something I shouldn't, or maybe I'm not doing something I should, and you can point that out to me, and I'm sure some of you will. (laughs) Amen. Well, anyway, this is uh, Warren Landis, and I want you to know I love you very much, and I love the Lord very much, and I'll see you next time on Sunshine USA.